All right. Interesting. We're getting close to the end of this conversation that we've called Turbulence this fall. We started early in the fall, really early, because like this is really the first Sunday of fall. But uh, we started really early. We started in August, talking about times in our lives when, when things get confusing and hard, times of loss, times of pain, times of disappointment, times of trouble, and kind of grouped all those different things under this category called turbulence. And so we're talking about that on Sundays, one more Sunday after today. We're going to wrap it up next week and start something new. Uh, and... Uh, you know, as we've, as we've gone, really, this morning, we're going to talk about a teaching that really brings together a lot of the things we've already said about turbulence in the weeks prior, because it's going to be hard. Today's teaching is already hard to implement. It's really hard without uh, some of the things we've already been talking about. So if you want to catch up on some of those things, that's a good idea. I encourage you to do that. But uh, uh, when we talk about this today, my goal is to not just equip you to understand this principle. Our principle is very easy to understand. It's really easy. You, you could, I could just tell you right now, and we could all go home, and you would understand this idea. It's not hard to understand. It's just really hard to put into practice. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Talking about turbulent times, we had some friends who just left this morning, uh, just went to first service with us and then uh, have taken off. Uh, Good friends of ours who go back to our pre-Walla Walla days and a couple that we've done ministry together with, Pat and Tracy Cross, just the best people that you could imagine. And they've done missions work in uh, Ireland, and then now they're working in Utah, in Ogden, Utah, and doing ministry there. You can imagine some of the challenges that go along with that. But these are super people to be doing that. And uh, we've, so our friendship goes way back. Well, one of the things about Pat is he's a world-class runner. He's a world-class runner, and his son has followed in his footsteps. So his son, Jordan, uh, when he was a senior in high school, had, at one point in time in his high school career, had the fourth fastest mile in the country, four minutes and ten seconds. I mean, that is really running. And so Jordan, he just has this raw gift and a dad who's paved the way, and he's, an, he's just an elite runner and uh, has uh, encountered some turbulence. He uh, went to college and uh, picked, ended up picking up a college, picking a college to run at on full-ride scholarship and all that, that just didn't have its act together when it came to uh, running. And, and through some bad coaching decisions, he ended up uh, getting it injured and having a foot injury. And so bad coaches... Uh, injured running, and he decided he's switching colleges. So he decided instead of running in the southeast that he's going to run in Utah where his folks live. And so he's at Weber State University, which is in Ogden, and he's running for them. And, and, and he has just finished nine months of re- rehabilitation on his foot. Nine months of rehabilitation, working hard just really gradually to get back up to, to even being able to run and then being able to get his times back and uh, was really has been really doing great as the season started this fall. He ran in one meet, did great, ran in a second meet a couple weeks ago, last week actually, in Bozeman, Montana, and shaved, personal best, shaved 40 seconds, 40 seconds off of a five-mile run. I mean, really tremendous. And at 5,000 feet, so he did a tremendous job and is looking forward to next week when he's going to run at Notre Dame. He's going to run in Notre Dame. That's a nice flat course. It's not 5,000 feet high. And he's been looking forward to a personal best again and really uh, kind of making his mark in the running world. And 
just the end of this week, just a couple days ago, Ogden had a tornado. There's a tornado in Ogden. And he and his uh, teammates were outside trying to decide whether they should run in this storm or not. And all of a sudden, a freak gust of wind breaks a branch out of a tree. This branch flies across the parking lot. He's standing there with his teammates, and this branch comes right towards him and lands on his foot. <laughs> lands on his foot, and his foot is swollen and bruised, and he can't walk on it. And it's looking like running next week at Notre Dame is not going to happen. And that's turbulence. And you know what? We've all, we can all relate to that. We can't relate to running a 410 mile. <laughs> but we can relate to this kind of arbitrary, random thing that happens to you, and all of a sudden you feel like you're getting your momentum. And that's what happens. I mean, that's turbulence. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about times in our lives when things like that, and even worse, happen to us. And what I want to do is I want to talk about how to, a way to respond to those kinds of situations that can totally transform your relationship with turbulent times. Totally transform your relationship with turbulence. Now, what we're going to talk about, I've already told you, it's not easy. It's easy to understand, hard to implement. But my goal is to not just help you understand it, but to actually have you implement this at at least a little bit of a level before you leave this morning. So how's that for a start? That's what we're going to do. I want us to begin by acknowledging something that almost all of us do. I'll bet everyone in the room has done this, and I know that I have. We, here's what we do. We measure God's presence in our lives. We measure God's blessing in our lives. We measure whether or not our relationship with God is working like it's supposed to. We measure that by the amount of ease and comfort that we're experiencing. When things are going well, they're going smoothly, we say, yep, God is really with me right now. God is really blessing me. And when things go south, we, we don't say that. We say, you know what, my relationship with God, it, I don't know what God's doing, but he's not really carrying up his end of the deal. You know, uh, this is not working for me. The gospel isn't working for me. Now, in, I, I have use those very words. Two years ago, I was painting my house. We were in the middle of a house remodel, and my job was to paint the exterior of the house. And you know that when you do that, it's a long time before you actually pick up a paintbrush. You know, you're doing lots of sanding and scraping and caulking and then priming. And then finally, it was time to start painting the house, actually painting the house. It was going to take me several days to get that done. And uh, I, I got up early one morning to start painting. And I got out on my roof because I had to reach my second story. So I'm standing on my roof, bucket of paint, getting ready to put paint on the house. And I kicked the bucket of paint over and I spilled paint on my brand new roof that was part of the house remodel. 40-year shingles with paint on them. And so here's what I did. I picked up some tools and I threw them across the yard from my roof. I threw him in my yard, and I threw some other things in my yard. It was early morning. It was probably about 7.30 in the morning, fall morning just like this. I said some things, and one of the things I said is, the gospel's not working for me. Okay? Pastor Brad said, the gospel's not working for me because I spilled paint on my roof. The gospel is not working for me. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever used those words, but it's possible, just possible, that maybe you yourself have said something that reveals the same kind of flawed thinking that my statement revealed. Behind that kind of a statement, there is an assumption that we're making. And the assumption is this. The assumption is that the goal of the gospel is my smooth life. God's vision for me is that my life would be nice and easy. God's vision for me and my life is that things would go well. That's what walking with God and being His child is all about, right? Having life go well for you. That's why you follow Jesus, isn't it? So that everything goes well. The goal of the gospel is my smooth life. Is that the goal of the gospel? Is that what walking with God is all about? Is that God's greatest vision for you? That everything goes okay for you? Or that you, uh, that you don't have any big problems? Or uh, at least if they're big, that they're miraculously solved. And they don't last a very long time. Right? That's the goal of the gospel, right? Well, let me save you some trouble. That's not the goal of the gospel. That's not God's vision for your life or mine. God's vision for your life is not your comfort. Do you know what it is? It's your Christ-likeness. That's God's goal for you. That in your thoughts and attitudes and behaviors, in your actions, that you would become more and more and more like His Son, Jesus. In your response to life. In your motivation and how you treat people. I mean, that's God's vision for you. We touched on this last week in in Romans 8.28 when we talked about Romans 8.28, that God works in all things. God's working for good, for for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. The goal of God working good and predestining and calling is to... Mold us into the likeness of his son. So that means that that the goal of the gospel is not your comfort. It's your Christ-likeness. God's vision for you is not that you be comfortable. God's vision for you is that you become more and more like his son, Jesus. And this distinction is really important. Because what produces one rarely produces the other. What produces your comfort rarely produces your Christ-likeness. And what produces your Christ-likeness rarely produces your comfort. Christ-likeness is formed in the crucible of hard times. And when you recognize this, when you recognize that the goal of the gospel is not my comfort, it's Christ, my Christ-likeness. And when you recognize that it's turbulence and hardship that creates that Christ-likeness in you, that's an amazing realization. That has the, just that realization has the potential to change your whole relationship with turbulence. It has the, it has the, just recognizing that can change your feelings about turbulence. It can change how you respond when you encounter hard times. It can change the effect that hardship has on you. And it can 
move you closer to implementing one of the most challenging teachings in the Bible. So those are big promises, right? Let's see if we can get there from here. Take your Bibles, open them to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 is our text this morning. You know that in these studies we've been looking at kind of landmark passages in this study, Turbulence. We have one of those passages this morning. It's in James chapter 1. Now, you might be interested as you're turning there to know who James is. There are a bunch of different Jameses in the Bible. The James who wrote the book of James is James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, Jesus' brother, was not a Jesus follower. He didn't follow his brother. He's just like my brother, you know. He didn't follow his brother before the resurrection. It was after he encountered the risen Jesus that James became convinced that his brother Jesus is actually from God. So that's kind of interesting. And you see James emerge in the book of Acts as a leader in the church. He went from skeptic to leader as a result of his encounter with the resurrection. That's interesting. Seems like we met someone last week named Paul who kind of had a similar story. So that's James who wrote this. And in James chapter 1, he gets right to the point, no warm-up in verse 2, and he says this, "'Consider it pure joy, my brother.'" Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Let's just work our way through this. James begins with the hardest, I mean, the, he, he, leads, he leads with the challenge at the beginning. And he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now, the command in this passage, it's a command. It's just straightforward. James doesn't even warm up to it. He just gets right out there and he says, listen, change your mind about turbulence. Change your mindset about turbulence. Now, this is easy to understand. I could stop right now and say, here, just remember, change your mind about turbulence, and you could leave this morning. Everyone could remember, change your mind about turbulence, but putting it into practice would be another thing. Easy to understand, hard to carry out, because James sets the bar pretty high. He says, consider it pure joy. You might have a translation that says, all joy. It's the idea of experiencing undiluted joy when you face a trial or a hardship. Undiluted joy. That's the idea. Undiluted. Joy that is not, not diluted by any other competing thoughts or feelings. Just you respond with 100% joy. Not 50% joy and 50% grin and bear it. Not 80% joy, 10% grin and bear it and 10% resentment but pure, undiluted joy when you face trials of many kinds. One translation, I like the way it it helps me hear this differently. One translation says, Consider yourselves fortunate when all kinds of trials come your way. Consider yourselves fortunate. And when are we to consider ourselves fortunate? Well, that translation says, When all kinds of trials come your way. Our translation says... Consider yourselves fortunate whenever you face trials of many kinds. When I was a kid, 
I memorized this verse, this passage, uh, from the old King James Version. Now, the King James Version was translated about the time of Shakespeare, right? So it's got lots of old words in it. And uh, this, the King James Version of this verse says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations. And I used to think, what kind of temptations does a diver have? And are we talking about scuba divers or people who dive off boards? I was a kid just trying to figure out, what does this mean, divers' temptations? And it wasn't probably, I was probably in college, probably, when I figured out, oh, that if you just put an E on the end of that word divers, you have our word diverse. And that's what it means. It's the word diverse. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That I understand. Each and every kind of trial. That's how you might paraphrase this. Consider yourselves fortunate when you face each and every kind of trial. There's no distinction here between good trials and bad trials. No distinction between trials that God designed and bad things that happened to you. I mean, there's just no distinction. We learned a couple weeks ago that all turbulence is filtered by God and ultimately comes our way only through His providence, right? If that's true, then there's no distinction between good trials and bad trials, between something somebody did that was mean, that was wrong, and something that just kind of happened randomly. There's no no distinction there. Really, there's no distinction between productive trials and not productive trials. They're just all grouped together. So a trial... Turbulence can be anything here. It can be anything that challenges your trust in God. Anything that challenges your obedience or your desire to obey. Anything that makes you want to quit. Anything that stretches you or disturbs you or upsets you. It can be any, any and, and it includes any and all of those things. So it could be money problems, marriage problems, health problems, job problems. Stupid things you brought on yourself or mean things that someone else did to you. It includes all of those things. And James says, you need to change your mind about this. You need to change your mind about turbulence. Instead of getting upset, instead of panicking, instead of getting resentful to God for allowing this to happen, James says, consider yourselves fortunate. Turbulence is a gift. It's a gift because God uses it to make us more like Jesus. That's what James goes on to say. Verse 3, you know, you, you consider it pure joy and respond with pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The idea here is that these hardships develop a quality in you, the quality of perseverance. And and that perseverance develops in you maturity and helps bring you to completeness. The idea is that turbulence helps form you in the image of Jesus. And in case you just think James is kind of a masochist who really should never have written a book of the Bible, you need to know that Paul says exactly the same thing. 
In Romans chapter 5, I want you to see how similar this idea is in Romans 5, where Paul says almost the same thing in very similar words. He says, we rejoice, rejoice, consider it pure joy. We rejoice in our sufferings, in each and every kind of trial. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Do you see the commonalities? We rejoice in sufferings because sufferings produce in us qualities that are like Jesus. Paul says exactly the same thing. Here's The truth is, hard times refine us. Suffering makes us stronger. Specifically here, turbulence builds our ability to to endure. Turbulence builds a greater level of trust in God than easy times, right? Turbulence builds us, gives us, enables us to trust God at a whole different level than when things are going smoothly. If someone's life is going nice and smooth and they say, God is good and I really trust him. What means more? When, something, when someone says it and their life is going smoothly or when someone says that and their life has just fallen apart and they say, God is good, he's doing good things, and I trust him. I'll tell you what, those, those come from two entirely different contexts. And, and they really engender two entirely different levels of respect, really. Because someone, someone it's, not, it's easy for someone to say when everything's going right, right? It is not easy to say when your life feels like it's falling apart to say, I know that God is good and that he's doing good things and I trust him. But it's really suffering that produces the ability in us to be able to say that. It, it, it generates in us a much deeper trust in God. And you might be surprised to learn that, but Jesus himself had to develop this kind of obedience and, and trust in times of hardship. That's a, just one line out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5 says this, that he, the subject is Jesus, Jesus is subject, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now that's kind of confusing that Jesus had to learn obedience because I thought he was God's son and, and that he was sinless and perfect. Well, that's true. That's, that's exactly right. But as Jesus was growing up from a, from a toddler to a young boy to a young man to an adult, at each different level, he had to develop a new level of obedience. He had to obey as a toddler, which is different than obeying as a young man, which is different than obeying as a 30-year-old, which is different than obeying all the way to the cross. And so uh, through hard times, Jesus continued to learn new levels of obedience so that suffering at increasingly challenging levels of, at increasingly challenging levels gave Jesus the opportunity to develop increasing levels of obedience and trust in, in the Father so that ultimately he was willing to trust the Father to the point of experiencing violent death on the cross to win our salvation. So even Jesus himself learned obedience through the challenge of hardship. And if that's what it took for Jesus, you don't think it's going to be any easier for you and me, right? 
not going to be any easier. It's not any different. It's through hardship that God does His greatest work in our lives. And we know this is true in every other area of life. We know. That's why James says, uh, you know. It's just a life principle. You know that the testing of your faith produces patience. Nobody goes to the gym and say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get stronger and stronger at the gym by lifting less and less every day. Right? Nobody does that. Nobody says, I'm going to be a faster runner by, by, uh, Instead of running, just, just walking nice and easy. You know, we know it's a life principle that hardship, that hardship makes us better. When things get easier, we don't get better. It's when things get harder that we get better. It's hard times that produce growth way beyond easy times. And you might wish it's not true, and I might not wish it's true, but it is true. It's a life principle. And because it's true, because God uses hardship and suffering to make us more like Jesus, when we encounter turbulence, we consider ourselves fortunate. We respond with undiluted joy because it means that God is working on us. He is involved in our lives, making us more like Jesus. And if we will respond correctly, we'll emerge more like His Son. It's possible not to respond correct. It's possible to experience turbulence and come out of it less like Jesus if you don't respond correctly. But it's also possible, and it's God's desire, that we come out of turbulence more like Jesus. And we can. That's what James challenges us to do. Change your mind about turbulence. Turbulence is a gift. God uses it to make you more like his son. It's actually one of the ways that God carries out Romans 8.28. Last week we looked at that promise, Romans 8.28, and and, uh, walked our way through it. How God jujitsus circumstances and turns them into good in our lives. Well, one of the ways that God does that is by taking evil, cruel things that happen in our lives and using them as transformative events. Think how frustrating it must be for Satan when his best efforts to destroy you actually end up making you more like Jesus. That would make me want to quit. Think of how frustrating that must be that that, that everything he throws at you, God in his providence and power can turn it around and actually, if you'll respond correctly to it, make you more like his son. That's an amazing thing that God promises to do. So, so that, that means you're not the victim of a cold, cruel world. That means you're not the victim of random events. That means that God is at work in your life, carrying out the goal of the gospel, your Christ-likeness. So you can rejoice when even random-seeming things, like a branch flying out of the sky and hitting the one thing that you're great at, you can know that that is God at work in your life. I love this quote. It's by a pastor from a previous generation. His name was Alan Redpath, and and here's what he says. He says, There is no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. I love that phrase. If it has come that far, 
it has come with great purpose. One of the reasons that we can even talk about this this morning is because we've already talked about how God protects us, how God watches over us, how everywhere we go, God is, Psalm 139. How uh, uh, God alone is the one who helps us, Psalm 121. He never sleeps, so he, he never slumbers. He watches over our coming and going now and forevermore. So if your heavenly Father who watches over you day and night, your coming and your going, now and forevermore. If your heavenly Father, who never sleeps, who guards you from all harm, if he has allowed this turbulence in your life, then you can know that he wants to use it. He wants to use this turbulence. He wants to jujitsu, even if it's something evil or random that happens to you. He wants to use it to make you more like Jesus. So, consider it pure joy. Change your mind about turbulence. Don't fear it. Don't dread it. Don't resent it. And don't measure God's presence in your life by the lack of it. God has bigger fish to fry in your life than making you comfortable. So when you encounter turbulence, you encounter it, you're really encountering one of God's best tools, one of your best growth opportunities. So change your mind about turbulence. Turbulence is God at work in your life. Turbulence can move you closer, faster to maturity than anything else. So change your mind about it and respond with joy. And here's the thing. When you know that all turbulence goes through God and all turbulence is a gift from God, then you can know that you have what you need to deal with it. If God allows it in your life, He knows what He's doing and you can know that you have what you need to deal with it. You have God's Spirit living in you. You have God's people around you. You have God's truth in Scripture. And if you feel like you don't have everything you need, then according to this passage... There's one other thing that you can do. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. If you feel like you don't have what you need for turbulence, you ask God for wisdom. It's right here in the past. It's the very next verse. This is talking about asking God for wisdom in times of hardship. If you feel like you don't have what you need, then you ask God for it, and he will give you the wisdom to deal with it. Now, we said at the outset, this is easy to understand, hard to do. But the blessing and the growth is not going to come from understanding it. The growth is going to come from doing it. I want to help you do it. First of all, I want to... I want to go off script just a little bit and remind you that, that one of the ways we carry this out is by being involved in each other's lives. That we need to be able to remind each other that this is true. I want you to be able to remind me, hey, you know what? That turbulence is just a reminder that God's at work in your life. And you have the freedom to remind me. And I have the freedom. We have the freedom to remind each other. We're going to need to remind each other as we go through hard times. Now, don't make that the first thing you say to someone when they come and tell you, you know, man, my life just fall. Well, you know what? You're going to be more like Jesus now. So 
You know, don't be that. Don't be that. We need to hear and we need to feel each other's pain and, and walk through hard times with each other. But one of the things we can know that, we can, that can guide us and help us encourage each other is knowing that God uses this at work in our lives. So I want to give you a little bit of a way to begin implementing this principle. It's not just enough to understand it. So I'm going to give you a few things you can do, and then we're going to take a little bit of time, and I'm going to give you opportunity, you and God, to do it. So three things you can do, and then, and then one bonus one bonus at the end that's not in your notes. For the first thing that you can do to actually start putting this into practice is, number one, to thank God for your turbulence. Thank God for your turbulence. If you can do this, if you can take that thing that is bothering you so much, and you can say, thank you, God, for this, you've already made a big mindset shift just by doing that. Thank God for it and make this a regular habit when you're troubled by something. Thank God for it. Secondly, ask for help. Ask for wisdom in it. That's okay to do. It's expected. Ask for wisdom in it. James says, if you ask, God will give you what you need to deal with it. So you may need to ask. So thank God for it. Ask for help in it. And then change your mind about it. Specifically, Think about your turbulence and smile at the same time. Now, that sounds a little bit, oh, brother. But I'll tell you what, if you can do that, that's pure joy, right? Do you ever experience pure joy without smiling? I don't know. I don't think so. I think pure joy is, that, that's part of it. So if you can do these two things that feel so incongruent, if you can put a smile on your face and think about what you're going through, I think that's one of the ways we begin to allow God to help us respond with joy to these things. So that's something I challenge you to do. And then the bonus is just keep obeying. You've got to keep obeying. Don't use turbulence as a chance to give up, quit, stop. Go around what you know God wants you to do. The growth doesn't come from taking shortcuts. The growth comes from right going, going right through what God has brought into your life with the right kind of attitude, which is not just joy, but it's confidence in God and it's obedience to what you know is right. If you will do these things, you will actually be taking steps in putting into practice one of the toughest teachings in the Bible. What I'd like to do this morning is I want to give you a little bit of a chance to just do this before we go. So we're going to have a, a brief time of prayer where you can bow your head and pray. And I want everyone to bow their head and close their eyes because you don't want to see the person beside you trying to think about turbulence and smile at the same time. That, that could maybe look a little, a little hard. So, But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one of these three or four things, and I want you to pray about it. I want you to take a minute, and maybe you need to thank God for your turbulence. Take a minute to, or ask God for wisdom. Do it now. Or think about that thing you're going through and smiling about it and saying, I know God's going to use this in my life. Or asking God to show you how to obey. So one of those things, take one of those things or maybe two of those things this morning and I'm going to give you about a minute, 60 seconds or so for you to pray about that. So let's all bow our heads and I'm just going to kick us off and I'll say, God, please help us this morning as we do our best to put into practice this teaching that you've given us.
Father, this is hard to do. It's hard to think of these things that are so disturbing and so painful and, and that uh, are still so fresh. And thank you for them. It's hard to do, but we know that it's an obedient thing to do. We know that it's really putting our trust and confidence in you and your providence, your care for us. And my prayer is that you will help these brothers and sisters of mine to put this into practice, to respond to the turbulence in their lives with pure joy because they trust you so much and they want to become like Jesus. And we want to invite your spirit to carry out this enabling work in us because we can't do it in our own power. We can't do it. But we know that you've given us everything we need to do it, and so we want to lean into it and ask you to help us. So I pray for people here this morning in the middle of great hardship that you will strengthen them with what is true and you will help them to begin carrying out this teaching so they can respond to what's in their life with joy and they can reflect you to other people. We just entrust ourselves and all of our situations to you and ask that you continue to work in them and we ask through Jesus. Amen.